God's word in scripture today is found in Numbers 22, verses 21 through 35. Balaam got up in the morning, saddled his donkey, and went with the princes of Moab. But God was very angry when he went, and the angel of the Lord stood in the road to oppose him. Balaam was riding on his donkey, and his two servants were with him. When the donkey saw the angel of the Lord standing in the road with a drawn sword in his hand, she turned off the road into a field. Balaam beat her to get her back on the road. Then the angel of the Lord stood in a narrow path between two vineyards with a wall on both sides. When the donkey saw the angel of the Lord, she pressed close to the wall, crushing Balaam's foot against it. So he beat her again. Then the angel of the Lord moved on ahead and stood in a narrow place where there was no room to turn either to the right or to the left. When the donkey saw the angel of the Lord, she lay down under Balaam and he was angry and he beat her with his staff. Then the Lord opened the donkey's mouth and she said to Balaam, what have I done to you to make you beat me these three times? Balaam answered the donkey, you have made a fool of me. If I had a sword in my hand, I would kill you right now. The donkey said to Balaam, am I not your own donkey, which you have always ridden to this day? Have I been in the habit of doing this to you? No, he said. Then the Lord opened Balaam's eyes and he saw the angel of the Lord standing in the road with his sword drawn. So he bowed low and fell face down. The angel of the Lord asked him, why have you beaten your donkey these three times? I have come here to oppose you because your path is a reckless one before me. The donkey saw me and turned away from me these three times. If she had not turned away, I would certainly have killed you by now, but I would have spared her. Balaam said to the angel of the Lord, I have sinned. I did not realize you were standing in the road to oppose me, and now if you are displeased, I will go back. The angel of the Lord said to Balaam, go with the men, but speak only what I tell you. So Balaam went with the princes of Balak. This is the word of the Lord. Have you ever had things not go your way? Oh yeah. I think Phyllis could testify to that. You read the book, right? There are times when things don't go our way. We, we even, as we announce staffing changes, we realize there are things that just don't go our way. Well, I'm thinking back to a time when I uh, was, uh, we were, my wife and I were planning a church and we got to the community and, and I had developed, we were looking for a site to hold the worship service. So we didn't have a building or anything and so we're looking for a place to hold worship and so I developed a matrix. Anybody ever develop a matrix before? And I ranked all the different possible sites and then I put all the pros on each site and then I ranked each site according to number one, number two, number three on this matrix. So I had this grand plan, right? I had a plan for the best place for this church. And so the number one place on my plan was the high school in the community new community, growing community. I said, let's get into the high school. So I go to the high school. Guess what? There's already a church plant in the high school. 
There's already another church meeting and worshiping in the high school. So I went over to the middle school, site number two, and lo and behold, there was another church plant in the middle school. And then I went over to the elementary school and guess what was there? Obviously, this, there were other people with the same idea that I had, the same plan that I had. So I began to work the list a little bit more and I looked at a, some industrial area and then we, but that didn't have any parking. And then I went to a warehouse, there was a warehouse in town. I thought, well, we could use that warehouse. And so I went to the owner who happened to be a member of the other church, established church in town. And when I went in there to ask about space for the church, she actually came out of her office and she looked at me and she said, I know who you are. And I said, you do? And here's what she said, you're that guy that's here to close our church. Whoa, I guess you don't wanna let us use the warehouse. <laughs> so I went out of that place. That wasn't the site, I kept working. Unless finally, I found the Garden of Eden. About 10 minutes outside the community was the Holiday Inn and they had this atrium with plants and fountains. It looked like a garden atrium and it had a stage and speakers and it had breakout rooms. I said, oh, this is perfect. And I found out it was only $1,000 a week. Not, not too bad. <laughs> but then I thought to myself, this would be great. So I put in an application to use the space and I never heard back. So I kept contacting them, never got anywhere, never heard anything. So. And I, but I thought, this is the place, right? This is the site. This is the greatest place we could ever be. So I wrote a letter to the CEO of Crown Management, who's in charge of the, how, the hotel chain. And I got a letter back, and all of a sudden, like a day after I got the letter, of the response from the CEO, I got a call from the manager at the hotel. Imagine that. Wanting to do whatever I needed them to do. I thought, this is it. So I go in to work on the contract and I begin to line out the dates for this place and well, you can't have it on this Sunday, we've already got a contract for a wedding on that day. And you can't have it this Sunday because we've already got a contract. And for the next six to nine months, we could not be in the space any more than once or twice a month. And I said, that won't do. I was discouraged, I was disappointed. I didn't know what God was up to. God, I came to do this for you. Where are you? Why are you not providing? Why are you not taking care of us? Why aren't things going the way I want them to go? Do you ever feel like that sometimes? <laughs> do you ever feel like life is throwing you a curveball, or life is not going the way you want it to go or that maybe you're, you didn't get the job that you wanted or maybe you didn't get the house that you wanted? By the way, we got into our house. We have a house of Magnoid with the help of the church and after five tries, right? Thank you, God, and thank you, congregation. But I think about all these places. You know, we get these things in places in life and we wonder, God, what are you up to? And we're disappointed with God because our plans are not going according to our plans. My question this morning for us is, do you trust God is for you even when things don't go your way? Do you trust that God is for you even when things don't go your way? It's a pretty important question. This series is talking about those places where when things don't go our way, sometimes it's because there's a divine detour that God has us on. Sometimes it's a divine secret. You know, we're just never gonna know the answer to, what, to, the, to question why. And sometimes it's a divine purpose. God is up to something, another purpose that we can't see yet. So do you trust God even when things don't go your way? Now, 
Balaam, who we heard the story of this morning, is a great story about a divine detour. God takes, them on, takes him on a divine detour. Now, you didn't get the whole story. This story is a lot longer than what you heard this morning, but let, kind of let me let you set it up a little bit. The first thing that happens is there's a guy named Balak, and he is over, he's over the, uh, another nation called the Moabites, and the Israelites have come, and they've camped right next to the border of Moab, and he can stand on the mountain, and he can look, and he can see all the Israelites spread out across the land, and he goes, oh, oh, my, 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 this is a problem. This is a threat to our nation. This is a threat to our people. And so we have to do something to get rid of the Israelites. And so he calls on this divine seer whose name is Balaam, who you heard about in the story. And he says to the Balaam, he says, I want you to come. He sends these officials and he sends some money over to Balaam and says, Balaam, I want you to come to me over here and I want you to look over the nation of Israel and I want you to curse the nation of Israel. And Balaam says to the first delegation, he says, you know, I talked to God about this, I divine, and he probably used some divine seer things and skills and, and lots and so forth. And then he comes to the conclusion, no, I can't do that. So he tells the delegation, I can't do that for you. So they go away. So then Balak is still insistent, so he sends another delegation, which is the delegation we hear about in the story, and the second delegation is princes and high officials, and he, they come with more money and more reward and more gold and more silver, and Balaam is now saying, well, you know, the, the answer's still the same, but did you hear what it said in the verse? Now, let me remind you, verse 19 says, then Balaam says, and he actually asked them to spend the night the first time, but the second time he says this, now spend the night here so that I can find out what else the Lord will tell me. I'm a little curious about what what else it might be. Is is there something that Balaam is hoping for that, that, you know, now that these more important people are coming to see him, he's feeling a little bit more important. And now that the gold is, is more and the silver is more, maybe he's feeling a little bit more like, hey, let, let's just, let me just reconfirm with God this is really what God wants. So he does come to the same conclusion that he can't curse them, but God does say, go with them, but don't curse them. Don't curse the Israelites, but go with these men. So the next morning, Balaam gets up, and we hear in the text that God is actually mad at Balaam for going. Now, it seems kind of contradictory. Wait, wait, you just said God just told Balaam to go, and now he's mad at Balaam for going, and I think it has more to do with the way in which Balaam is going. Because maybe there's still something going on inside of Balaam that I can't see and you can't see. There's still something going on inside of his heart and inside of his spirit that needs to be changed. Now, I am speculating here with the text, but I do notice that Balaam took two servants with him on this journey. We don't know why, but it could be to carry back the reward. Could there be something going on still inside of Balaam's heart that he's willing to go, but he's still hoping for the what else? (laughs) That he's still, and so what it says is that God is actually upset with the way he is going. And if you look at this whole story, you can see that Balaam may be thinking, maybe God will change God's mind and this might change things. And so I'm gonna go, but I'm still hoping that I'm gonna get a reward. Maybe he's divided in his heart because he still wants God to do what he wants to do. And I think that's the human condition, isn't it? That how often do we want God to do what we want God to do? 
How often do we put ourselves in the place of telling God and saying to God, God, I want you to do what I plan? Nobody does that. Just, is it just me? Is it just me that says to God, here's the matrix? Here's my plan. God, will you bless it? Will you take care of it? Will you do this for me? <laughs> when all along, maybe God's up to something else. See, Balak is trying to actually manipulate God. That's the, the king of the Moabite. He's trying to manipulate the divine to get what he wants. Balaam is hoping that God might change God's mind to get what he wants. It's interesting because on the way, the divine detour happens. Do you notice the donkey goes from the, from the road to the field, from the field to the wall, and from the wall to the corner of the field where the donkey can't go anywhere else but sit down under Balaam. And it's in that moment that God has Balaam right where God wants Balaam, in the corner, no place to go. Sometimes it's in the divine detour that God actually has us exactly where God wants us, in that place. You see, what God says about Balaam's detour, God says this to Balaam through the angel, I have come here to oppose you because your path is a reckless one before me. See, anytime we start to say to God, my plan is your plan, my plan, Matt's plan, is God's plan, it's a reckless path. You see, anytime we say to God, God, bless this plan, it's a reckless path. In fact, another way to translate this Hebrew word here is perverse, or have, you have perverted the way of God, or you have made a different way for God, and so you've kind of twisted it a little bit. It only takes a little bit. And I think that's what's going on with Balaam. That's why God says to him, this is a reckless path that you're on. And this divine, the whole purpose of a divine detour actually is to get us from the path that we're on to the path that God wants us on. To move us from back to where God wants us to be. That's what the divine detour is for. To ensure that our heart will be right and humbled and on track with what God says. Now, the inspiration for this series actually comes from a book by Mark Batterson called The Circle Maker. And he says in that book, Mark says in that book, he's the pastor of National Community Church in Washington, D.C. He says, sometimes God gets in the way to show the way. Sometimes God gets in the way to show the way. I think Balaam is a great story about God getting in the way to show Balaam the way. The divine detours are the way that God gets us back on track with God's plan. You know, there's all kinds of irony in this story. I don't, I don't know if you could see it. It's, it's Balaam who wishes he had a sword to kill the donkey when the whole time the donkey, the donkey is stopping because there's an angel with the sword that would have killed Balaam. Or think about how Balaam is upset because the donkey is making a fool of him while all along he's trying to make a fool of God. Or think about how these things go in and that, that as he beats the donkey with a stick, the angel could have beaten him with the sword. There's a lot of irony in this story. There's a lot of foolishness going on here that is pointed out in this story. But I want to tell you a couple lessons that I picked up from this story. One is this, trust the faithful donkey when you can't see the angel. <laughs> I, I'm also using the proper vernacular in church right now. 
I'll let that sink in just for a minute. Because in, I could have used another version of this scripture. <laughs> Go back to the King James on this one. But we learn from the donkey something about God. Did, did you see it? What is the donkey, how is the donkey actually reflecting the character of God? Faithfulness. The donkey says to Balaam, haven't I always been faithful to you? Have I ever let you down before? (laughs) That's God. God is always faithful to us. God is for us even when things don't go our way. God will be faithful to us even when things aren't going our way. And what he is saying is that, you know, the donkey is saying, I'm I'm a faithful. God is saying to Balaam, I'm faithful. I'm a faithful God, even when you're on a divine detour. (laughs) Trust my faithfulness, right? See, and sometimes the detour is helping us to depend more on God, to trust God more in the midst of the detour. And trusting God that is, that a God that is for you and loves you and is faithful to you in the midst of change, in the midst of disappointment, in the midst of things that aren't going your way, uncertainty. The other thing about this divine detour is that it's to trust the divine detour is better than your human plans. Trust that the detour is better than your plans. Notice that the donkey actually saves Balaam's life. The donkey is the provision of salvation to Balaam, just as God is our provider through Jesus Christ for salvation. God is saving our lives when we're trying to demand our plans. Maybe God is up to something else that is better for us than our plans. Maybe God is up to something that is better for us than what we want. I also find it ironic that the donkey is now the divine seer and the divine seer is now the fool. Think about that. The donkey is the one that can see the divine, but the divine seer can't see the angel. Until when? When is Balaam able to see the angel? The moment he is cornered and the moment he says to the donkey, no, you've never been unfaithful to me. When he admits and he is humble, in that moment of humility is the moment that his eyes are open to see the angel. You and I will never, not see the divine until we're humble enough to trust God's faithfulness and trust what God is up to. And it's in that moment of humility and trust that we begin to see what God is up to. It's only in that moment of humility, it's only in that moment where we're cornered with no place else to go that all of a sudden we start to see what God is up to. You ever heard of a guy named Job? Go read it, all 42 chapters. And see what chapter he says in chapter 42. He says to God, Before I heard about you, God, but now I see you. He didn't see God until the end of the book of Job, till he had gone through all the detours, the difficulties, the disappointments, the pain, the hurt, the problem, the struggle. That's when he sees God. I don't know what God's up to. I don't know why it works that way. God and I will have some conversations about that later. But there's something about being cornered and humbled that leads us to God. I forgot to tell you the end of that story, didn't I? You know, the story about finding a place for a church service. 
So you remember my matrix, my plan, right? At the very bottom of that plan, the very last place on my, my plan was a place called the Maryland Sheriff's Youth Ranch. What does that sound like to you? Exactly. I thought it was a prison for young men. I thought it was a, a place for juvenile delinquents. And I remember in the, I had worked through the whole list. I was down to the bottom. God had said, no, 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 no. And I'm in the shower one morning and I'm thinking to myself, well, you know, maybe, maybe that Maryland Sheriff Ruth, maybe I'll just check it out. And then I'm in my head, I'm going, no, I'm not going there. That, that's just, that's just, that's not good. I mean, it's outside the community. It doesn't work for the community. It's a detention center. So I was going about my day trying to push that aside. And then my three o'clock appointment canceled on me that afternoon. And I thought to myself, well, I guess it wouldn't hurt to just drive by. So I get in my car and I drive outside of the community and I drive over to the Maryland Sheriff's Youth Ranch and I turn in the lane and I see that they have this building there. It's a big gymnasium. It's a part and I'm thinking, oh, that, you know, that, that might work. And then I drive in and I said, well, I'll, I'll walk in and at least talk to somebody. So I walk into the office and, you know, lock doors, get through the locked doors. They buzz me in, you know, the glass window with the little silver thing on it you have to talk through. And I'm thinking, oh, this, is, this isn't good, right? So I talk to the woman behind the glass. I say, you know, I tell her what I'm up to. And she says, well, give me a minute. She disappears. And I'm standing there alone. And I'm thinking, how's this, you know, what am I doing here? And I actually thought about just, just leaving because she wasn't coming back. Then she opened, unlocked another door and she opened the door and she said, come on back. So I, I, I go back and she ushers me into the director's office and I sit down in the chair and the director comes in and he says, so what can I do for you? And I said, well, you know, I began to explain to him what we were up to is finding a place to hold worship services. And I learned that it wasn't a detention center at all. It was actually a foster care facility for boys, for teenagers that could not be in the, didn't have a placement. So they were, they were there in this home, this facility for foster care youth come from a lot of broken backgrounds. He began to tell me some of their stories and who they were, and I began to tell him what we were up to. And I said, you know, what do you think? And here's what the director said to me. He said, you know, I've been praying about a church coming to be here on our campus. Be careful when you pray, folks. He said, I've been praying because these boys can't leave to go to church. I've always prayed, what if the church could come to them? And I said, we can do that. We can do that. And so, I, I'll also never forget this part of the conversation. He, he said, so, so he said, how much do you, do you want us to charge you? <laughs> And I said, I don't know, you're the director, you tell me. And he said, how about $50 a week? I said, done, we got it. <laughs> Not my plan, but it's God's plan. The other cool thing that happened as we planted that church there, here's what else happened. Families began to mentor these young men, take them home after church. They would come and be a part of our church. They would then go home with these families, have a home-cooked meal, hang out, 
with other kids and to become for at least one day, one afternoon, a part of that family. And one of the great things that came out of that was that one of those families in that church adopted one of those young men and took them into their family as a result of that. That would have never happened had we done things my way. Trust the divine detour because God's got got it under control. God's up to something. Let's pray together.